Cup final, Spain, Netherlands, we lost. After that match was over, I was sitting next to a Spaniard. He got like punched out of his chair like two seconds after the match was done. They just punched <laughs> him in the mouth and the guy just had to be like dragged off and it was crazy. It was, I've never seen anything like it. Just riots throughout the entire city. I don't know. I don't even know if that's passion anymore. I think it's just lunacy or something. <laughs> so Anderson and I went and saw Juventus the other day. Barcelona. Today, Dude, today I was Barcelona Juventus. I just looked up the score. It ended in a in a tie. Where did you go see it, Jordan? Vegas. Woo. Yeah. So we went down. I did want to go to the Barcelona F uh, and Real Madrid match. That match was uh, the cheapest ticket I could find on the very last row. Was just short of five hundred dollars a ticket. Whoa. Uh, if you wanted something down, they were in the thousands upon thousands. If you wanted, so if you wanted center field, you were looking at uh, you know five grand to ten grand. It was crazy. Uh, the tickets. That's pretty wild. So yeah, I told Anderson, "Hey, uh, you know what? We're not going to see that one, but we can go the day before." And so we went and saw uh, Juventus and Chivas uh, Guadalajara. So oh, nice! And a lot of fun. And Anderson was one of a handful of Juventus fans, and we were surrounded by just rowdy, crazy Chivas fans who were very nice to Anderson. And <laughs> we got out alive. It was a lot of fun, though. So. It, it was awesome. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Angel Di Maria. I thought I thought I saw a picture of you and your son when Angel was doing the, the corner. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we had front row uh, right next to the corner flag. Perfect. And, Perfect. and we got those tickets for 70 bucks. Yeah. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, we've been chatting about some soccer and football, but what we are going to do is we're going to cease chatting about European soccer because we could do this all day, but what we do want to do is welcome you to the Should Be Common Knowledge podcast. My name is JP. I'm going to be our moderator today. We're glad to be back. It's been a while and uh, we're excited to have you here today with us as we are now officially kicking off our first official podcast episode. We've run a couple test episodes. This is the official Number one. So welcome to the maiden voyage. Welcome to episode number one. You're going to hear three guys who sit and chat about a little bit of everything. All those things you should know about and things that we feel should be common knowledge. As always, we'd love to have you join us on social media via the Instagram and the Twitter, all the socials at SBCK podcast, as well as at our website, sbckpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you, so check that out. Like I said, my name is JP, and I am joined today by Jonathan. I'm Jonathan. Hey there. All right, and then we've got Luke. Hi, guys. I'm Luke. Well, guys, so welcome back. Good to see you guys. It's been a bit since the first podcast, since the first test. What have you guys been up to? I know it's, we've been very busy. We've got some travel. We've had some vacations come in. Uh, what have you guys been up to the last couple of weeks? It's been a crazy couple of months. Yeah. A lot of stuff going on. New job. We got a new house. We're moving in in a couple of weeks. Pretty good. Yep. I moved into a new apartment and I also have done a little bit of trips visiting family. And today I'll show you my biggest news today is I buzzed my head off. So oh, there wow. you go. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, oh, well, I went out to Utah for a family visit and my mom was like, you need a haircut. And she told me to go to this place. And I went there and she's like, I'll pay for your haircut. I'm like, you don't need to do that. But I go get a haircut. And this lady was horrible. 
And so was, this is basically like a, a, a refresh <laughs> to clean slate because I was like, maybe they can fix this. But no, I just buzzed it off because I oh, got wow, bored tonight. Wild. So it grows fast, thankfully. So <laughs> well, it's right not- on. <laughs> well, guys, let's get it moving. So the way we like to do this, we've got a couple different segments in the podcast. We always want to start off with a segment we call person, place, or thing. So we rotate through and each of us takes the lead on each of these segments each week. And this week, Luke has our person, place, or thing, and the rest of us don't know what it is. So you're you're in, in the dark as us. So we're going to turn it over to Luke, take it away, and give us this week's person, place, or thing. Not a clue, guys. You ain't got a clue for this one. I wanted to take it back, uh, back to my roots. Uh, I'm, I'm originally from Holland, and I thought about the rich history that we have. And knowing uh, we're going to do something about travel, I thought it might be interesting to see if you guys know uh, the guy by the name of Abel Tasman. Ring a bell? No? No nothing? Dun, dun, dun. Um, no, nothing. doesn't ring a bell right off. No, Tasman, the name sounds familiar, but I have something in the back of my mind, but I, I couldn't tell for certain. You know, a little island, 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 there's a little island called Tasmania. That's what came to mind. So I was wondering if it was related. Yes. So it was discovered by Abel Tasman, who was Dutch. In, really? Uh, the 1400s, he uh, actually discovered it. He also discovered New Zealand. Uh, and Zealand is actually the way it's pronounced or the way it's written is actually a Dutch pronunciation. It's a province in the Netherlands, uh, one of the south ones uh, that's called Zealand. So this country was discovered and named after it New Zealand. Uh, some of the islands that he other other islands that he discovered were Fiji, uh, Van Diemen's Land, which is now Tasmania. And of course, then New Zealand. He did this in 1642 between 1642 and 1644 for the Dutch East India Company. Not to be uh, mistaken with the East India Company, which was British. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the Dutch went everywhere, so. <laughs> yeah, we, we basically went all over the place. Uh, we started New York as New Amsterdam. Um, I know we a song to... about that. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we Might Be Giants. Or they yeah. Might Be Giants. <laughs> so that's good so that's that's part of it and and uh this guy has got such a rich history about him he has just traveled all over the place he's been to indonesia he's been to india to south africa these are just the countries you have to stop at to just even make it to tasmania or new zealand back in those days so that was pretty cool i thought that was a nice little bit of history for you guys and I'm very proud. It's very patriotic of me to, to start off with a guy like that. <laughs> now, is he, so is he something that every, everyone learns about in school in the in Netherlands? Holland. Yeah. Yes, they do. Okay. And okay. I feel like I know something and learned something. Say his name for me again, so I can file this away. I'm never going to forget this. Abel Tasman. Abel Tasman. Okay. Gotcha. So, Abel Tasman. so when you hear a Tasmanian devil, it's named after him. Okay. <laughs> So he's kind of like their version of Captain uh, Cook, who went around and discovered all of like Hawaii and you know places like ex- you know early explorers. Pretty pretty cool stuff. I did not know who that was. Abel Tasman. Well, that's a great one. Okay, first 
person, place, or thing. There we have it, a person uh, two of us had never heard of. So hopefully you guys can take away something from that one. And now you know a little bit more about someone that you've never heard of before. All right, well, moving on then, we're going to move into our main topic today. Uh, Jonathan's going to be the one that's going to take this away with us. And we really don't know much about this, what we're going to talk about today, other than uh, that today's dose of common knowledge is going to be about the art of travel. So something that I love, and I know all of us on this podcast love, we are all diehard travelers and really live for travel. So that I do know. Um, But uh, all right, Jonathan. Right. Thank you, Jordan, for that great introduction. Yes. And as he mentioned, we will be talking about the art of travel. So not so much about travel destinations, because we'll have plenty of episodes to discuss various places around the world, which we all love and want to go to or have gone to. But today I'm going to focus a little bit more on traveling itself. And I'm going to start a little bit with a story, which was kind of my first intro to the world of travel I think I was about 14 or 13. I forget it was 91. So that dates me. But my first big international trip. So growing up, we'd done plenty of road trips and a few domestic flights and things like that. But this was my first trip and I was able to travel with my cousin who was from England and his mom and some friends to England. And it was quite the adventure growing up in in little Utah in the mountains, in the Rocky Mountains. And my first ticket, like, in my name on a trip without my parents, you know, how the tickets used to come back then. And like, it's like your own personal invitation in an envelope with the thing that slides in, you know, and it's all fancy. And and I believe we flew on Delta and then British Airways, the second part over the ocean. And I just fell in love with everything about it from, you know, preparing for it, going to buy the luggage with my mom, going to get the things we needed, even like the cool little toiletry case or whatever i i had it for years afterwards because it lasted a long time but all of the preparation for it as well as just like mentally at that age just preparing yourself for a whole new world out there and not knowing what to expect and then going on to the flight saying goodbye to your parents at the airport and getting in the airplane but it was like it was safe because i was with some family but i was also like going out into the unknown and I loved everything about it from the airplane seats when back then they still had like the little cigarette tray and the armrest, even though their smoking wasn't loud, but it was still a holdover from earlier. And the funky old headphones they used to have that were just tubes that plugged into the armrest that played channels, one like comedian channel, jazz channel, like, you know, you had to scroll through this digital like nine channels or something and listen to music. Uh, they didn't have the entertainment systems that we have today. So they'd show movies on the flight on the wall up front with a projector. <laughs> really kind of crappy quality, but, you know, they'd like show everyone had to watch the same movie, you know, basically. But everything about it from the food, the little trays was just like such a novelty and something new for me. And we, my cousin and I and our friends, we even we even asked the, the flight attendant if we could have the big map that was up on the wall where they were tracking our flight like with a pencil. Um, So I took that home, all of these little details that we were able to take. um, And I kept in like a, you know, a remembrance box forever. So the flight over was quite an eye-opening experience, just getting the window seat, staring outside, seeing the the continents go by and the ocean flying over. It was the first time I'd really been that far away from home by myself. And you can almost feel like your world getting bigger. Um, And then landing in 
London, I think we landed at Heathrow and then was basically exposed to a whole lot of new modes of travel, which we weren't really you know, familiar with in, in little Utah growing up. You know, the tube, streetcars, double-decker buses, even taking the, like the boats down the Thames, all varieties of travel. Even we did a road trip across England to different places and then took trains to far off coast destinations. So that whole experience basically expanded my mind and made me fall in love with travel. All the little things about it, the day-to-day, the planning. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys as we go through today and talk about like the various modes of travel, um, your experiences with it, um, how that's changed over time. You know, back then we're booking with a you know a travel agent most likely. You know, this is kind of this is definitely pre-internet time on that trip. Um, so things have definitely changed. We'll talk about also some tips and tricks about travel. It's kind of like the, if you've ever read On the Road with Jack Kerouac, which is a book I love, it's basically like the the journey itself is a destination. And I love that part of it. Like a road trip, the, the, the trip itself is a destination. So I want to uh, start with JP. I want to ask you a few questions because I know you've done a lot of uh, road trips with your family in recent years. And I know when we were growing up, we've done we, we did a lot of road trips with our family cross country, among other things. Tell us a little bit about your experiences there and and what makes that a success for you. I'm just going to start off and say I love the road trip. I live for the road trip. The road trip is, I think, I think it is just a quintessential American thing, hitting the highway, the open highway, and getting out and just seeing and exploring. To me, it's not so much about, it is not the destination. I enjoy the five-hour scenic back road, seeing something I've never seen before, the weird kitschy uh, roadside attractions, the random antique uh, shop that you might pass being able to find that hole in the wall diner and try some new food that you may have never tried. I love the road trip. uh, And I just, just honestly just completed last week, took an entire week off, loaded up the camper, hooked it up to the truck, grabbed the kids. And we went for a road trip. Uh, Despite my children's reservations, I think they had a good time as well. I hope they did. Kids don't love the road trip. They want to be out of the car and they like where they're going and don't quite appreciate it. But I really do think, I just think it's a thing innate in us. I think in humans in general to travel, to see new things and to be on the move. I think we have this inner nomad that wants to move, that wants to travel. Uh, The way our lives are set up nowadays, we don't have that ability. We're not migrating for work or for food or survival. I think we still feel this need to get out and explore to some degree, whether that's doing some back roads, overlanding, or a road trip just from city to city to be able to get out and explore. I love that. I like getting a Coke at midnight in a random gas station as as I fill up the tank. Uh, stopping for a quick bite and then hitting the road again and just listening to my music, having good conversation in the car and just seeing new things, I think uh, is really what it's all about for me as far as road trips and driving by, you know, trips by car. I just think it's a, and by nature, I think just by where I live in the West, it is 
far distances, great distances between any location. So I think we're used to traveling by car for long distances. I absolutely love it. I, I love to hit the road and just go get out and explore. That's just what I live for. And I think just not really having a plan and just hitting the road and you go where you go is one of the best joys I think you can find in travel. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that are basically most freeing as well. In a sense, it's pretty easy to plan for. You just, you know, I've got my cart road trip playlists and I've got my usual snacks I'll grab, or if I have, you know, friends coming, you know, and you just hit the road and go make a basic plan or know where you're headed. Okay. Well, okay. So with that in mind, I've got to ask everyone, because this is the important stuff I want to know. What is your go-to road trip snack food? You pull up to the gas station, you can go in. What do you get? For me, I get corn nuts and my kids hate it because they say they smell, but I, and it's the only time I get them is on a road trip. I don't buy them ever otherwise. And I get squirt. I don't know why. I think it's because my dad allowed me to buy it once on a road trip when I was a child. And so that is my drink of choice. When I hit the road, I go in and get a bottle of squirt. So squirt and corn nuts. Don't know why. Corn nuts, maybe because they're crunchy and it just keeps me awake when I'm driving, when everyone else falls asleep. All right. What do you got, Luke? I do. I do trail mix. It doesn't make sense, but I do trail mix. I'm not on a trail. It's, I'm kind of on a trail. <laughs> I'm traveling, but I do trail mix. I just love trail mix. Uh, sugar, nuts. They keep me active. They keep me going. Dr. Pepper on the side, Barks root beer, anything like that. I'm good to go. I'm definitely good to go. And I uh, typically will buy a box or bag of red vines. Um, and then I will get something caffeinated because, um, a lot of times my road trips are solo. I'm driving cross States to see family or whatnot. And I always tend to leave at pretty odd hours and drive through the night. So definitely something caffeinated involved like a soda or something or trying, you know, you try to be healthy, but I always rationalize it's a road trip. I'd rather drink caffeine to stay awake than die, you know? So always Always some red vines and then I'll mix it up with something salty, like some chips or something and then i uh sour candy sour gummies something like that so that's usually my like survival pack right there yeah staying alive is important (laughs) yeah that's the alternative you know so you know falling asleep on the road but i'm also king of like pulling over at the random truck stop in the middle of nowhere and doing the power nap in the car so i have a firm rule if i feel like the eyes nodding anything i pull over and I take like a 20, 30 minute nap and it does wonders. So it's definitely not worth risking to fall asleep driving long, long distance. So road trips. And I think that it's definitely a way to travel, especially if you have a lot of people, it's a little bit more economical, especially, I mean, even, I mean, gas is expensive these days, but it's still cheaper than like, like, you know, JP, like your family, then flights for five, you can just throw everyone in the car and go. Um, it's definitely easier that way. I wanted to to touch base on on what JP was saying about that internal nomad. I remember about nine years ago, 2013, I did a two-month trip through the United States, and I got that feeling. I got to have that freedom, that feeling that you feel like this is actually where you belong. Like This is human nature to just go see new things, explore new things. It's so counterproductive when you're in that state of mind to think about doing like a desk job or something like that. It's like it; those are just the polar opposites of each other. 
And that, that freedom is basically exhilarating and it's also enticing at the same time. Like you don't want to stop. And through those travels, I've met, and I don't know why Australians travel the most and the longest. I met a guy in Thailand, in Bangkok. He was sitting in a chair outside of the hostel and he was just devastated. The guy was just devastated because he had to go home. He's like, I have to fly back to Melbourne tomorrow after a two year trip. He was backpacking for two years. That's crazy. Must be nice. <laughs> well, I agree with you because I've often felt that the best version of myself is the one that is traveling. Like I'm the happiest. I'm most engaged with the world. I'm learning new things, new food, new cultures, new locations, places that you're stopping. Like, you know, like JP said, that gas station you're stopping. You may never be back there ever again in your life, you know? that canyon you're passing through um there's always something new to see uh i once took my parents through a road trip through colorado to new mexico back to colorado and this huge loop and i just remember the comment saying every turn there's a new thing to see and the vistas just never got old and it was just an amazing new one around every corner you know so just that process of seeing that all pass by and and how it makes you feel like and, and, and that's why we see it's so popular these days with like the digital nomads doing their job on the road or the van life, you know, um, it's definitely a draw for a lot of people these days. Uh, sorry, I, I'm laughing. I've, I've got, <laughs> so on our trip this last week, okay, so we found by happenstance, this was a trip where I, on purpose, I did not plan whatsoever. We just kind of had a week. We knew that we had about nine days with no plans. And we just went and we happened upon this amazing, amazing campground. Um, uh, pretty bougie kind of glamping type thing. I, I'm going to tell you, they have a swimming pool to die for, uh, a drive-in movie theater with vintage cars that you can sit in to watch a drive-in movie. The kids all got candy ordered to their car, candy and hot dogs, bellhop style to their car window as they watched, uh, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, but it was hilarious to see how we're in the swimming pool and we keep seeing these Instagram influencers come in and set up their towels, take photos of their keys and their towels on their lounger, get into the pool for about 30 seconds while their photographer's taking pictures of them. Then they get out, dry off, put on their clothes, get into their back into their $100,000 sprinter van and then drive off having lived the lifestyle and enjoyed this campground. And it was, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think there's something to be said here that, uh, you know, this lifestyle that is portrayed out there of hitting the road uh, for some of these people, it's just a business and it did not look fun at all for them. They were, you know, it, it was to show up, be seen, be seen at these places, take the photo op, post it on the gram and move on. And everyone there was just dying watching this happen again and again and again. And it was just eye-opening where they're looking at the whole travel experience through the eyes of a camera lens rather than living it and experiencing it and having the joy and the fun that comes from uh, that travel moment and experience that we were all getting and they were missing out on. So it was kind of eye-opening to see this happen. 
doing it for the gram. Do it. Exactly. Um, well, I think there's definitely a difference between that and actually being a traveling person who loves photography, oh, which completely. I definitely take a lot of photos on traveling as well. And it helps me see the world in a different way, but it's definitely very different than that intention. That's for sure. <laughs> no, but it was quite liberating, liberating to have a, you know, a 90 span with no plans and just to be able to just go and see where we end up and just not know which highway we're going to take the next day. Uh, that's something kind of new to me. I like to really plan my travels and really have a strict itinerary, a lot of things that we want to see, where I want to go. Um, but it was very liberating to just throw it all kind of to the wind and just go where we go and see where we end up. Cool. I, I wanted to touch base on one of the parts of travel, disposable friendships. Don't take, the, don't take this the wrong way, but disposable friendships are the friendships you have on an airplane. You, you get in your seat, the person next to you is talkative, you start talking, you're on an eight-hour flight, and you're like, what the heck, I'll just talk to this person, and you have the greatest of conversations. I don't know if you guys had that. I had it not too long ago. I came from Seattle, flew back to San Francisco, and this guy sitting next to me was the most interesting person I've ever met. A uh, guy does was a Navy a submarine reactor engineer. So he he worked with like nuclear reactors and stuff like that for most of his life, lived all over the globe and things like that. And then the plane landed, we shook hands and it was like, see you in the next life. It's a disposable friendship, but it's such an interesting thing to me that like for those eight hours, it feels like he's your best friend. Have you guys ever experienced anything like that? Oh, yeah. And I don't know if I'd even use the word disposable on that. I would just say it as like just something that enriches your life for that moment, you know, um, an interaction, call it that, because you don't get to the point where you're actually like true friends, but you're having a, a positive or a, a interesting or intellectually um, interesting interaction or conversation. I think also you can you can actually meet friends. I still have friends that I've met on airplanes. So there are some that actually survive that period. And if you stay in touch, or, or network or whatnot, you can really meet some amazing people. You're, you're basically stuck next to each other for how many hours, you know? So I've definitely had that experience on flights to Australia or Europe, and you're, you're next to the person for like 14 hours to Australia. So you definitely can't can't get away from them. So hopefully they are interesting, or, or even better yet, maybe they won't talk to me and I can sleep, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I can say that doesn't happen to me because I'm the guy you see when you sit down next to that it looks over at you, makes a very prominent motion with their headphones, puts them on and really lets you know they're not into talking and puts their hoodie up over their head. I'm that guy. I'm just like, <laughs> please don't talk to me. Leave me alone and let me just do my thing. I want to listen to my music and just be left alone. Um, but my wife next to me, on the other hand, feel free to talk to her because she will talk to you all day long and she will become your best friend. And she still knows everybody that we've ever sat next to you on an airplane right because she cares i don't oh yeah well so you... i am the wrong person to ask about this but i will say on our trip at that campground honestly we met a norwegian family uh uh on their summer vacation traveling the west uh for a month on this summer with their children our kids hit it off uh we had some wonderful experiences at the campfire with them and got to know them and their children very well. 
And we hope to stay in touch, uh, have invitations to go to Norway and visit. So uh, that's something that we would love to follow up on. And and travel just invites those connections. Uh, when you have that opportunity to meet people from outside your sphere, it's a really wonderful experience to be able to get those exchange of cultures and to have our kids uh, meet some other kids from across the world and see that commonality of just childhood and to see the bond that they made and they the kids are continuing to follow up with each other. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. I love that travel puts you in a place to meet people you would otherwise never cross paths with. Oh, definitely. And road trip, it's a little tougher sometimes, depending if you're stopping or not, because sometimes I get in the mode where I have to get the miles in and I'm not stopping. And if I stop, I'm losing time, especially if I'm getting just trying to get from A to B for something. But if you can take the time, stop. But if you're on a flight, like Luke said, you're, you're next to a person is built in to have a conversation if you want. Or if you're in other modes of transportation where it kind of is designed to interact like you know if you're sitting next to someone on a train or you're on a cruise um i definitely wanted to look a little bit at train travel and we'll start with luke because i know you you grew up in a country where train travel is definitely a lot more common than it is here how was travel by train uh, in your life growing up in europe well let me start off by saying that in, in the Netherlands, it's basically from the age of 16, when you basically start high school in, in the Netherlands, you get a free pass to go with the train wherever you want to go within the country. That was, that to a kid is like such a power, such a freedom to just be able to go from one part of the country to the other, which sounds like a lot, but Netherlands is so tiny. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> It's like LA, basically the size of LA. So you can go from El Segundo to Spring Palm Springs or something like that. But as a 16-year-old, that's like a whole lot another world. And I went to like the South. My parents are from the South, and I went there and just you know you want to discover what's this uh, country about? What are places that have like historical significance as well, like Nijmegen, like World War II. There's a lot of stuff that you can find there. Uh, but yeah, we definitely did. We, we traveled all over. Uh, free public transport throughout the week if you're a student. So that that's awesome. Oh, yeah. And then juxtapose that to the train experience in the U.S. I know there's corridors where there's train travel, Seattle, Portland, or you're on the east coast you know you have the whole boston to dc corridor um where it's pretty common people taking the train into the city a lot to new york city etc but out in the west it's not so common uh i know jp you once came to visit me in denver from salt lake city how was that train ride and how did that fit into like your normal travel in the west in america let's say compared to like a road trip or or a flight first thing that comes to mind is frustrating I've done that, uh, the Salt Lake City to Denver route, I think three times, I believe. And I think it came with each mindset. Once I went just for the journey and I didn't care how slow it was, and it was all about the scenery and taking the time to just enjoy the ride. The other two times, it was just ridiculously cheap. And so I decided, hey, if I'm going to get to Denver, this is going to be the easiest way and fastest way to get there. Uh, well, not the fastest by any means, but it was just so ridiculously dirt cheap. I just did it anyway. And then it really got to the point where there was just enough slowness and delays 
that really ultimately when I was within an hour's drive of my home, but yet it, I knew it was going to take another two to three hours to get home. I, I was to the point where I just wanted friends to get in the car and drive down to the next train station and pick me up because I could still be home two hours earlier, even if someone came and picked me up. Um, but I think it's all about that mindset of the journey. What am I here for? If it's for transport and quick and easy to get from A to B, it's not that. But if you want to sit down and get to know someone who's on the train next to you or just watch the scenery slowly drift by, it's fantastic. I love train travel for that. But generally, you don't have a full day to just get from A to B usually. But it, if I could book a trip, say, you know, up to the Pacific Northwest, up into Canada, they have those routes. And that was my trip. And that was the itinerary. I would love to do that. I would love to spend a week on a train just exploring, slow, slow exploring up a coast. Uh, I think that'd be fabulous. But the American trains are not the European trains where it's a quick point A to point B. No. And it's going to get you there quickly. And then you can go explore some more. And uh, Japanese bullet trains, they are not. <laughs> no, no, they are not. And um, they defer to the freight trains. So if a freight train's coming, they they take the spur off, let it pass, and then get on. So I hated that. I did that once from LA to San Francisco. It took me 14 hours. And we were waiting for like two hours because of freight train. Mm -hmm. Hated that. That was yeah. not my favorite. And and to come back to the train travel, I think one thing that's on my bucket list to do uh, is the Chattanooga Choo Choo from, I think it's Nashville to Chicago. Uh, I was going to say, is that a dance or a train? I think that's a dance too. <laughs> it might be. It might be. I remember it specifically because my father was big into trains. He loved trains. We took train rides to Paris. We took train rides to Vienna. He loved it. He just loved the train itself, like the mode of transportation, locomotives. We did the Harry Potter train in, in Scotland. Those kind of things were what my father lived for. And I, I think as, as like his heritage, I just want to take it with me and do the Chatt Chattanooga one just to get the experience even if he didn't at least i can do it oh yeah like in his honor that would be awesome um my favorite train experience and speaking of like the ease of train travel in europe it's nice because you just get your ticket you don't have to check bags you you know there's no time you have to be there early enough you just can't miss the train you got to get on it at the platform and then you're off you know you find your your spot and you're gone and it's pretty easy that way my favorite travel was uh, our most memorable train experience was in Sweden. And I was traveling from Sweden to Berlin and started one night in the afternoon and evening in southern Sweden. And the train went all the way to the southern edge of the coast and they backed us up to this port and the engine pushed us into like all the cars into this boat. So the whole train went onto the boat. And then the engine took off and we were inside this boat. And then we basically were locked down in the hold in the bottom and we could get up and go walk the ship as we crossed over the, the sea to the northern uh, coast of Germany um, through the night we crossed over. And um, I had a cabin, so I had like a bed and I had a, a random guy from England who was a train enthusiast who shared the cabin with me. And he flew all the way to Sweden to do this route. 
Um, and so he was super hyped up. And so he and I were walking around, he's taking pictures and explaining everything. And, and he made it that much more of an enjoyable experience because, um, he was super psyched about it. And so we did our thing and then just like went to our cabin, chilled and hung out and then slept through the night. And then we woke up basically at the platform in the train station in Berlin, the main train station. So all of us are waking up and there's commuters walking by our window and we're just parked at the at the platform with time to get off and get ready and get out. So it was a really cool experience just to like start in one culture and wake up over the boat and then wake up the next morning in Berlin. Pretty cool. Nothing else really kind of like that. A train and a boat bucket list check check, you know, <laughs> pretty wild. Which takes us to, to boats, I think. How many of you have done a cruise and what do you think? I have. I've done a cruise from Port Lauderdale to Bahamas. I thought it was nice, actually. I like the the idea of a cruise. I don't know if I would do it like a two-week cruise or something like that. But this was a shorter one, like two days. It's nice because you just wake up. There's like entertainment all around. There's a pool there's karaoke, there's uh, something to do basically all the time. Um, that's Lots of food nice. to eat. <laughs> lots of food to eat, lots of entertainment. Um, I didn't mind it, but then, like I said, I wouldn't do it for two weeks. No. See, for me, um, young me, a cruise sounds like hell on earth, okay? The antithesis of travel being stuck on a ship with a million people doing the same can thing. And I was adamantly anti-cruise. I you just the idea of going on a cruise seemed just horrific to me. Um, until I went on one, it did require an entire mind shift. It is a different mode of travel. My mode of travel that I prefer is I want to get out, I want to explore, I want to be off the beaten path, I want to go find cool things to photograph, cool things to eat, uh, local, real dive in. And I want to pretend I'm a local. I want to blend in. But first time I went on a cruise, uh, I kind of noticed, oh my goodness, it's not travel to me, it's vacation. I had to have that mindset of, I don't have to do anything. I can go sit for the by the pool for eight hours and do absolutely nothing but chase the kids away from the soft serve ice cream machine because they're getting in my way and I want my ice cream. So, uh, you know, it's just a whole entire mind shift, but I, with the right people, I've had a great time. I've done multiple cruises now and it's all about the people you're with and it's fun. I do enjoy it, but I think it's a different type of travel. And as long as I've prepared myself mentally that this is what I'm going for to have fun with friends, relax, and destinations are secondary, then I have a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a floating resort. Exactly. And yeah, unless so. you're on the, the Baltic Sea heading to Tallinn from Stockholm, and it's 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 not as resorty as... Oh, <laughs> I forgot about that one. You and I did that, and it was so stormy. Oh, I yeah. thought we were going to die. Uh, I remember at dinner watching the plate slide back and forth across the table, just sliding back and forth. And it was oh. so stormy. They didn't do any of the things. The casino was closed. The, there was no entertainment other than no. that. I have done that one with the entertainment and it's pretty hilarious. The entertainment's pretty hilarious, but I also did that in the winter and I couldn't sleep because the whole night I was hearing the ice hitting the hole 
um, crossing the Baltic Sea. <laughs> it was the loudest thing because, of course, we had the economy cabins like in the basement, basically. <laughs> but that was an overnight boat from Stockholm to Tallinn and pretty, pretty awesome engine. experience, though. You were you were positioned next to the engine. So loud. <laughs> Such Can we a go good back time. real quick, though? I want to go back to the train, though. Okay. Just one thing I, I just really, I mean, I think, you know, for Luke, this is not so much a thing, but I remember as, as a young kid, the first time getting to Europe and getting to a train station, this was such a foreign thing for a young American kid. And the excitement and panic that goes along with getting to a train station and then trying to figure out, first of all, you look up at that big blackboard with the spinning numbers and all the the platforms and the times and the departure dates. First of all, trying to figure out in German what on earth they're, you're looking at. Um, and then trying to figure out the platform. You get there, you run. And even when you're getting on the train, in your mind, you're still like, I swear I'm on the wrong one. And I have no idea where I'm going. And, and it's only when like an hour in when they come through to check your ticket and they don't kick you off and you're like, I'm on the right one. I'm going the right way. I mean, that was so fun and exciting for the first time to be able to do that. Um, and then I remember just that terrifying, you know, moments, my first few train stations as a, as a kid in Europe. And then um, once my girlfriend, now my wife, Kim, she was meeting me. Uh, she was going to meet me in Bern and she was flying into Zurich and she had never traveled to Europe before. And I remember I just projected that, oh, you're going to be so confused. It's going to be so scary when you get to Zurich. And I even taught her German how to get up to the window and say, I'd like to, I'd like to order a ticket. And she started, and the guy's like, you want a ticket? Yeah, please, please. In English. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think it's just that the excitement and terror of trying something new. And it's the same thing the first time when you get, and I don't know if you're getting here, but the first time you arrive in London or Paris and try to go down into the tube, just looking at that big map of the underground and just going, what on earth? I mean, now I love riding the underground in Paris or uh, the tube in London. It's fantastic. And it's so fun. And just that uh, those mini, you know, micro wins when you're like, oh, I did it. I figured it out. I know where to go now every single time um, and how to do this for people that come from, you know, where we're located. I mean, out here in the West, I mean, there's no such thing as a subway. Uh, when you arrive that first time, whether it's a train station or the, or a subway system, it's those, those challenges and the excitement of something that, you know, is in a way kind of slightly terrifying trying to figure out how to do it your first time until you figure out how to navigate. She's lucky that uh, you sent her to Switzerland where the train system runs like a Swiss watch because not all yes. train systems in Europe are built equally. Uh, if you had dropped her in southern Italy with like uh, a, a rule to get to, to northern, like not everyone has the same English or the same on time train system as the Swiss. <laughs> That's yes, for I, sure. <laughs> I walked down to the train station and she arrived like Hawkward right on time, popped off that train. Uh, was right there. So yes, gotta love the Swiss for the trains and their <laughs> punctuality. I wanted to touch base on that because I find that very interesting. For me, that's completely normal. Of course, like traveling by train and subways 
our way of life when you live in Europe. And in Amsterdam, we have a subway. London has a subway. Paris, basically everywhere. Uh, in America, you don't have that everywhere. That's true. Um, you actually do in a lot of places, but it's definitely not the efficient way of traveling. Um, but New York, I want to say, does a good job. Like you can take the underground in, in New York. You'll get somewhere. Uh, San Francisco, I still think that BART has a good system. Like if you want to go downtown, you still you can use it. That's definitely still there. But L.A., L.A. to like Europeans is like it's, it's hell oh, on it, earth for us. We, we have no clue how to, to go about it. And it would take you three times longer than just getting an Uber. Yeah. Hundred percent. I've done it once. I had to go from El Segundo to Hollywood, and it took me four hours to get there by subway. That was not fun. I was not doing that anymore. <laughs> but if you don't know, if you travel in Europe, whatever whatever city you go to, Milan doesn't matter what city you go to. There's either a subway system, or you can walk basically all of downtown. Mm-hmm. New York is still walkable. If you walk Manhattan, you can still walk for most of it. Um, but LA, you're just lost. You can't walk in LA. There's no walking in LA. The, there's only one mode of transportation and it's a car. So the first time I got to LA, I was like, ah, I don't really like this city because you really need a vehicle to, to maneuver. Mm-hmm. And even then it's like the traffic is just horrific. So it makes it even worse. Uh, so that was that was like my reverse to what you guys had in, in Europe, like getting on trains and the excitement of like Garden or or something like that in Paris. And but that that was it for me. Like I got to downtown L.A. because that's what you do as European. You go downtown to whatever city you are. New York, you go to Manhattan, you start walking. You go to Washington, D.C., you go to the Smithsonian, you start walking it doesn't matter what city you go to, even like San Francisco, you can go to Union Square and start walking from there all the way like Koi Tower or uh, Pier 39, Fisherman's Wharf, those things. Uh, but LA, you get there, you get downtown and it's like, there's a financial district. There's a couple of churches, but that's about it. There's nothing to see in LA that way. You really have to go to like the coast and you have to go to like Venice and you have to go to Santa Monica to see anything. And that was a very much the thing for me is like, I'm not used to go to a, like a coastal town. Cause that's what it is to me. If you go to LA, it's a coastal town in, in that sense. Um, if you go to Santa Barbara, you would probably do something similar, walk the boulevard or something like that. So that, that was a very interesting thing for me as traveling goes, getting to LA was like, I don't know what to do here. It very really dep- varies depending on the location, right? So I've been to other places where there's no public transport, which is great. Like when I went to Ghana in West Africa, there's no like great public transportation. They just have these buses, they call them trotros, which into people, independent people drive and the locals will pack in there. Um, but if you're coming in uh, as a Westerner in there, you're probably not going to take those and you're probably not going to want to rent a car either, because if you get in a wreck or something and you get tickets or, you know, um, you may become a bit of a target while you're driving. Um, 
you mostly need to rely on a private driver and hire someone out in those instances. So it's definitely, depending on where you go, the infrastructure can totally vary as well as the ability to drive in those. So I don't know if I would even want to drive myself in a country where, you know, you might be subject to excessive tickets or bribing and things like that. One of my favorite things going back to the subway was when I learned, and, and I really think this hit me most in, the first time I really noticed this was in London, where I think my first two visits to London were kind of uh, like the game of whack-a-mole, where, where I was really using the subway a lot, but I would go into the subway next to the hotel, and then I would pop up next to whatever wherever site I wanted to go see. I'd go up, see it walk around that little neighborhood for a second, then go back down, get into the tube, pop up somewhere else, and realize kind of in my first two trips, I never really understood, you know, I could look at a map, but never really understood exactly the relationship of the whole until I decided, I think it was on my third trip to London, where I really decided I'm going to minimize my tube travel and I'm going to walk. And I did not realize how walkable London is and being able to connect the boroughs one to another, uh, walking from section to section and see, okay, if I go down High Street, I end up here and then go on to you know Hyde Park or and then, okay, now I get the entire relationship of where everything is. That's when I felt like I truly started to learn London rather than doing this, you know, it is highly efficient. Yes, to get into the tube and just pop up, see what you want to see, get down, and within minutes you could be across the entire city somewhere else. But I love that. And I did I found the same thing with Paris. Get out and walk it and bring it brings that city to you. And then you really start to understand it once you walk it. And another tip for London, once you get tired of walking, just get on any bus, a double decker, go to the top floor, sit up front. You got your bus card. You can go anywhere. You can go on the tube, whatever. Just ride it. You don't know where it's going. Sit up there and ride it. And if you want to head back, you get out, cross the street and go back the other way. Or you pass a tube stop, you hop out and get on there. I would just get on random buses with, I didn't know where they were going. I didn't know the number. I just hop in, go upstairs to the front and just park it and have a rest. Study my map, hang out, watch the scenery go by, especially if it's raining or something. And it's basically like a, a guided tour through the city down a random bus route. And you always could head back easily, just cross the street and head the other way. So just a tip. That's one thing I love to do when I got tired of walking. <laughs> I remember Kim and I uh, in London in November, freezing bitter cold. And I think we just got on a bus in London, had no idea where to go, where it was even going. We were just so tired and cold. We hopped on there and I think we passed out for an hour as this bus drove around London. Just somewhere <laughs> warm, just in the back of this steamy uh, double-decker bus driving around London, getting a good nap in. So talking about buses, America is also pretty famous for its buses. Uh, Greyhounds, Megabus, uh, whatever you want to call them. I've traveled with them. They're very inexpensive. So if you're on a budget and you're like, I was a backpacker nine years ago. It was perfect for like, I, I wouldn't do the long distance ones. I've seen people go from Kansas to Portland, Oregon in like five days or something on, a, on, on buses. But I wouldn't recommend doing that. But I did from like New York to Philly, Philly to D.C. Those are like one or two hours. And some of these buses 
definitely do have like luxuries on board. Uh, I have one that had like sleeping cabins and like a, a little curtain you close and you got your, your docking station and everything. So you could just plug in your laptop, sit on your bed, watch a movie or do whatever. Uh, I thought it was pretty awesome. And you get a window too. So you still get to see the rest of the stuff outside. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I've done a, a couple Greyhound travels. I mean, you kind of do want to stay alert on those overnight ones. There's a few interesting folks that come on and, and leave, but it's part of the adventure, right? Um, sit up by the driver if you uh, don't feel safe. Yeah, I have <laughs> one of those. I have one of those from San Francisco to Portland. I think I think it left at 7 p.m. and it would arrive at 7 a.m. And at 2 a.m., I think four people on the bus just decided to have it out. And they got kicked off the bus halfway through and we just kept driving. I was fast asleep. I woke up. I'm like, I'm seeing punches just going one after the other, hooking each other. Like, oh, my God. Well, it's an experience. Well, I love it. And definitely, and to wrap up this segment, let's tie it together and and have each one of you uh, give us one of quickly just one travel tip that you have found in your life a quick tip whether it's booking luggage packing navigation maps if you guys have one that you can share with the crowd one thing that i know for traveling by plane never go cheap if you go cheap you get the 17 hour long layover in moscow and all those things if you pay 200 bucks more you get the direct flight the, the time that it saves you to pay those extra bucks is worth it anytime. Definitely. Jordan, what about you? Got a travel tip? Uh, my travel tip is one thing that I really love to do is when I get someplace new, my first thing I want to do is, regardless if I'm coming to the States from Europe, here's my big travel tip, is do not, no matter what, go back to your hotel, check in, and then go lay down and take a nap. Stay awake push yourself, get out of the hotel. And then what I love to do is go explore your immediate neighborhood. Go find that coffee shop that's around the corner. Go find where you're going to go get croissants for breakfast. You know, go find the laundry. Just see what is in your immediate vicinity. Go do a little exploration right around your home base and see what is there. Then you don't have to spend time looking for those things later on another day. Then you can be out in the city exploring all the other things, but go see what's local right next to you. Find out where's that donor kebab shop, because that's the first thing I want to know. I want to know where the donor kebabs are, because I want that donor kebab in my belly. So I'm going to top off with the donor kebab, go explore, find myself a pastry. And then also from there, I'm going to find out where the uh, subway is nearby and where I can really just find those things that I need. Where's the pharmacy, whatnot, what's right around there. And then, then I've set up my home base and I'm ready to go for the rest of the trip. All right, for my travel tip, I'm a map nerd. I love maps, I love navigation. One tip that I found is before you leave or when you have Wi-Fi, it makes you download those offline maps onto your phone because that is key because you may find yourself where you may not have data unless you're at a Wi-Fi at a coffee shop, unless you're paying the big bucks for the roaming data across Europe or wherever you may be. Download the the maps. Get a, a paper map. Your phone may die. You know, along with that, have external battery packs for your phone. I carry those too when I travel. 
but yeah, get a paper map, orient yourself um, to your areas. Go up to, if you're in a new town you've never been to, I go straight to the souvenir stand and look at the postcards from that town. That tells you what's all the famous things there in a glance. You know, you can say, hey, I want to see this, see this, see this. Without having to read the guidebook, you can find some pretty neat things. Um, ask locals, talk to them uh, for tips. Um, they know the place very well, you know, what's worth seeing, what's not. So those are a few tips from me. As 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 JP said, this is uh, one of our favorite topics is travel. And this is kind of just an intro into that. Um, I do want to leave with uh, my philosophy on travel that I've always tried to stick to, but I don't always do when it comes to how often I travel. Um, I try to do this rule of thumb where it's the frequency. So like once a month, I try to get out of my town to a, somewhere close on the weekend or something somewhere close by. Once a quarter, so every three months, I try to get out of my state or my region. And then uh, once a year, I try to get out of the country. So if you use that as the baseline for your basic travels, you'll see some amazing places. Um, I haven't always been able to do that, especially with uh, COVID travel the last few years, but I'm looking to get back into that and get that routine. So remember, art of travel, get out there, love it, live it. You know, it just... Really, it, it really is just brings to mind just all of the different ways you can travel and get around and just what experiences it opens up to that travel just opens you up to all of these things, regardless of the mode of travel, which is kind of what this conversation has turned into a little uh, rehash of modes of travel. But drop us in the comments, hit us up on Instagram at SBCK podcast, as well as at our website, SBCKpodcast.com. How do you like to travel? What is your preferred uh, method of travel? How, how do you like to hit the road? And also, what are some other ideas? I mean, as you can tell, we love to travel. Uh, and, you know, where do you want to hear about? What do you want us to talk about? We'd love to hear your ideas and uh, get your comments and feedback on travel and what it means to you. And give us some ideas for some uh, upcoming podcasts, because I think travel is going to be a re reoccurring theme quite frequently on this podcast because it is something that we truly love all right well awesome guys like you said hit us up on those socials we're going to wrap it up now can't wait to join with you guys on the next one but until next time we're going to sign off i'm jp um remember good things come to those who wait and i'm jonathan and i'm luke and that's it from us here at the should be common knowledge podcast we'll check you next time peace out Awesome, oh, guys. That was Fun. Awesome.